0: hey everyone, my name is Steven and I am one of the pastors here at Journey Church. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this message. We pray that this helps you on your walk with Jesus, but also that it encourages you to get plugged into a local community of believers. Hey, if 2020 taught us anything, it's that being isolated from others is not how God intended us to live. So be sure to use this resource in conjunction with being plugged into your local church. And we hope you enjoy this message from God's word.
1: Well, welcome to church this Sunday. It is such a pleasure to have you here. You can see that we are right now decorated for Vacation Bible School. This is just part of the decorations that are going to take place across this building today. As uh, people are getting ready and and all of the volunteers are getting ready, um, we will have a lot of kids that will end up coming through he- here this week, and uh, it will be great to have an impact upon their lives. We could not do it without all of our volunteers. Um, I, I I found the picture that describes the volunteers. I want you to see this. Uh, this is this is what they look like at the beginning. This is what they will look like on the last day. They will be exhausted, but it will be a good exhausted because they will give their life, uh, their their time, and their energy to be able to minister to our our kids, not only the kids that belong to this church, but also uh, kids that are invited to be a part of this. Um, If you are not volunteering in some capacity in the church, I would highly encourage you to, to find an area that you can volunteer in and help. There are different ministries that take place across this church, and we need volunteers uh, in order to make those things happen. Part of being a body, uh, a member of the body of Christ is not only do we love Christ, not only do we follow him, commit our hearts and our lives to him, but we also look for opportunities to serve others. And there's many opportunities that you can find throughout the church to be able to serve. Well, we are in this series of messages that are called Living a Godly Life in an Ungodly World. This is the final message of this series of six that we have been going through. We have been looking out of the Old Testament at a guy by the name of King Asa. Today, where last week we wrapped up his life, and today we are gonna have the final message uh, in this series to wrap up this idea of living a godly life in an ungodly world. Now, all of this is based upon uh, verses that came out of Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, which says, since all of these things are to be destroyed in this way, What kind of people should you be? Well, here's the answer. Live your lives in holiness and godliness. Are you living your life in holiness and godliness? Would that be the descriptive words that would be used to describe your life? If somebody was talking about you, would they say of you, he is or she is holy and godly? Or would they use other words to describe your life? My hope and my desire is that that those are the words that are used to describe you. I want them to be used as words that describe me, that I am walking holy and godly before him as I live out this life. Well, today, we're going to close this series out with this final message called, What Does God, or What Is Holiness and Godliness Actually Look Like? Let's pray as we jump into this here today. Father, thank you so much for the privilege that we have of opening your word, of learning from you, of growing in your grace. And I pray today, Lord, that you would show us exactly what holiness and godliness is going to look like. I pray that every person here or watching online would walk away being changed today, that we would make commitments before you, covenants before you, to determine in our lives that we want to be holy and godly before you. We want to please you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. Help us to love you. Help us to follow you. Help us to be committed to you. And help us to live a holy and godly life. Teach us now through your word. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, that question is something that we're going to have to wrestle with today. What does it look like? What does holiness and godliness, according to the Bible, look like? There's a lot of stuff in Scripture about holiness and godliness, more than we can possibly go through in our limited time here today. I would encourage you, as you open up the Word of God, that you start looking at and recognizing when God is speaking about what holiness and godliness actually looks like, that you would start to recognize that and allow the Word of God to convict your own heart and to shape your own mind and allow you to walk in that kind of way with him. Today, as we close out the series, I want to give you three things about what holiness and godliness actually looks like. What is a life that is holy? A life that is godly? How could that possibly be defined? Again, like I said, there's so many things in Scripture that we could cover, but I have just narrowed it down to three things that I want to talk about in our final points about living a godly life in an ungodly world. The first point that I want to give you is this. If you want to be holy and godly, if that is your desire, which really matches up with what God's desire is for us, if you want to fulfill that, I would encourage you to have a life like this, a life completely surrendered. That is the first step in holiness and godliness. It is a life that is completely surrendered to God's leading, a life that is completely surrendered to his His work in our hearts. Now, I want to show you a couple of scriptures that are going to deal with this, and I want to try to explain to you what these scriptures mean and how they apply to us here today. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, very familiar verses for many of you, Paul writes these words. He says this, It says, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. This is your spiritual service. This is what God is desiring for you and I to do in order to live out a holy life. You present your bodies as a living sacrifice to him. This is the spiritual act of service. Then he says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is God's will, what is the will of God. What is the will of God that you present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice? That is his will. This is what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is it that will please God the most when you and I decide that we will present our lives as a living sacrifice to God? Now, what was a sacrifice in those days? In the days of Paul's writing, in the days of the functioning of the temple in Jerusalem, they had sacrifices daily. They had special sacrifices during the festival times. They had daily sacrifices, weekly sacrifices, monthly sacrifices, special sacrifices that would happen at the seven feasts of Israel. And they would have one major sacrifice, the Day of Atonement. On the sacrifice, on the Day of Sacrifice, they would come into the temple. And on the altar of the temple, there would be a an animal, most likely a lamb that would be offered on the temple sacrificial system, on the altar to God. The lamb would be presented. As the lamb is being presented, the entire lamb is going to be used for the sacrifice. When Paul is using this metaphor, this is what he's talking about. He's saying this Put yourself on the altar of God, lay yourself out on the altar of God. Be a, not a dead sacrifice though, be a living sacrifice. Do you know that a sacrifice in those days, if a lamb was going to be presented on the altar, the lamb could not say to the one that was sacrificing, the lamb couldn't say, just take my wool and let me have the rest. The lamb didn't have that right. The lamb could not say, just take one leg and I will just live with the rest of it. They'll call me tripod, they'll make fun of me, but I'll walk around the rest of my life missing a leg. The sacrifice had no right. The sacrifice had no say. The sacrifice was presented on the altar and it was all of it. When Paul is saying, present yourselves, he's saying this, lay yourself out on the altar of God and say to God, here I am. All that I am is yours. My mind, my relationships, my finances, my plans, my job, my family, my marriage, it's all yours, God. I am a living sacrifice to you. I no longer have any rights, all of myself is yours. Present yourself, be completely surrendered. If you want to be holy before God, holiness will start with a complete surrender. Paul says it another way in Ephesians chapter 3, and I want you to see this. He says these words. He says, I pray that from his glorious riches, he would grant you to be strengthened in your inner being, that's your spirit, with power through his spirit, So that Messiah, that is Jesus, may dwell in your hearts through faith. I want you to notice the word dwell. The word dwell is a fascinating word in the Greek language. The word dwell means literally to take up permanent settlement. To take up permanent residence. And so there's a picture that Paul is painting with the word dwell. I pray, Paul says, that the Holy Spirit would work with power in your heart and that Jesus would take up permanent residence in your heart. Let me give you the word picture that he's doing, and let me try to explain this to you. I want you to picture your house. Picture your house, the place where you live, your house. Picture it this way, that your house is a representation of your heart, And in your heart, there are many rooms. Your heart looks like a house. And just picture it this way, that Jesus comes to your front door, and he starts knocking on your front door. And he says, hey, I've come for a visit. Would you let me in? Now, you have a couple of choices. You could say, go away. You could pretend like you're not home, and you could, you know, army crawl across the floor so he can't see you through the windows. You could do that. Or you could open the door and you could say, Jesus, come in. I am so glad you're here. Come on into my house. Come into my heart. When Jesus comes into your heart, it's like he comes into your living room. And as he comes into the living room, you have a nice visit with him. You drink coffee with him. You read his word every day. And you're excited that he is there in your heart. You're excited that he is in your living room. The problem is that I still own the house, but Jesus is just a guest in my home. At some point, Jesus says, hey, this has been great, and I like being a guest in your home. I like being in the living room, but would you give me your whole house? Would you sign the deed of your house over to me and let me have it? I'll let you live in it, but I want to own it all. Well, Most of us don't want to do that because, Jesus, you don't know what I have been putting in the closets. See, you're in the living room. You can't see the rest of the house. Do you have that one room in your house when people come over, you throw everything into the room and you close the door and you hope that they'll never go in there and see it? Do you have certain bathrooms that are the guest bathrooms, but I don't want them to see the other bathrooms in our house? Do you have a basement that you're like... Uh, don't go down there, you don't want to go down there, please do not go down there. I have a garage kind of like that today. Don't go in the garage. You can go anywhere else, don't go in the garage. That kind of thing is the question that's being asked. Jesus says, would you let me have it all you your thinking in your mind, I don't want you to see the rest of it. Because there are things that I have been keeping in the closets that are not appropriate. There's things that I have in the attic that you don't want to see. There's things that I have in my basement that I'm not proud of. In fact, there's a lot that I'm carrying that I'm ashamed with. I don't want you to see that, Jesus. You just stay in the living room. Jesus says, no, I want to own it all. I want you to give your entire home, your entire heart, your entire life to me. So you make that one decision and you say, I want that, I'm, I'm tired of running the show myself, I'm tired of trying to control things myself, I want to be all in with God, I wanna be completely surrendered, so you get the deed out, and you sign your name on that deed, and you present it to him, and you say, Jesus, the whole house is yours. And then what does he do? He takes it, he takes ownership, and he starts going through each room one by one, And he starts fixing, remodeling. In fact, if Jesus had a TV show, it would be, you know, home remodel. Uh, It would be life remodel. And he goes through one by one, and he starts fixing and repairing and cleaning and getting rid of. He gets rid of all of the clutter. He gets rid of all of the junk, the things that you've been hanging on to for 50 years, the things that are affecting your life that you have not ever been able to let go of. He starts repairing and allowing you to come to a point of forgiveness, and he starts remodeling. When When I was in college, I had a couple of guys that were roommates. Our kitchen in college was horrific. We used every possible plate and bowl and saucer and pan in order to eat out of because none of us were willing to wash the dishes. The sink would pile up, and it was just disgusting and gross. And finally, we had to clean it. God comes into the kitchens of our lives, the bathrooms of our lives, the the attics of our lives, the basements of our lives, and he starts to repair it all. But it does not happen until you finally sign the deed and say, God, my entire home, my entire heart, it's yours. When Paul says that you, that Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's what the word dwell is, permanent settlement. He wants to own all of your heart, not part, not be a guest, not be a visitor, but he wants you to sign the deed so that your whole heart is his. When that work happens, where I finally surrender and I I, I allow Christ to be be Lord of my heart, Lord of my life, where I sign the deed of my heart over to him, something begins to change. What begins to change is, number two, that I become a person who is a spirit-led person, a life that is spirit-led. You know, for many of us, we try to lead the spirit of God, this is what I'm willing to do. This is what I'm willing to change. This is not what I'm not willing to. This is not what I'm not willing to change. Jesus, you just follow me wherever I go and whatever I want to do, I'm going to lead you. You're not going to lead me. But something happens when I surrender my heart to him. Now he begins to lead me. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 5. He says, but if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under law. In other words, this is God's desire. This is what pleases him. I surrender to him, and then he leads me where he wants me to go. One of my favorite poems that I have, it's it's written, it's an anonymous author. And the poem is called Just Pedal. And it's a story about a tandem bike. And I I want to read this. I've, I've shared it before, but I just want to read it to you again as a reminder This is what spirit-ledness looks like. Here's what it says. At first, I saw God as my observer. He was my judge. He was keeping track of the things I did wrong so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I die. He was out there sort of like a president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I really didn't know him. But later, I came to know him. When I met Christ, it seemed as though life were rather like a bike ride, but it was a tandem bike. And I noticed that Christ was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know when it was that he had suggested that we changed places, but life has not been the same since we did. When I had control, I knew the way. It was rather boring but predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points. But when he took the lead and he got in the front seat, he knew delightful long cuts up mountains and through rocky places at breakneck speeds. It was all I could do to hang on. Even though it looked like madness, he just said, Pedal. I worried and I was anxious and I asked, Where are you taking me? He laughed and didn't answer, and I started to learn to trust. I forgot my boring life, and I entered into the adventure. And when I'd say I'm scared, he'd just lean back and touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of healing, acceptance, and joy. They gave me their gifts on my journey, my Lord's and mine. And we were off again. Then he said, hey, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage, too much weight. So I did to the people we met, and I found that in giving, I received. And still, our burden was light. I did not trust him at first in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it. But he knows bike secrets, knows how to make it bend to take sharp corners, jumps to clear high rocks, fly to short and scary passages. I am learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest of places and i am beginning to enjoy the cool breeze on my face with my delightful constant companion christ and when i'm sure i just can't do it anymore he just smiles and says just pedal see the picture of god in our life when we are spirit led is that he takes control he is on the front seat and i am in the back he is has the steering wheel and i am in the back seat I am going wherever it is that he leads, but it doesn't happen until I say, God, my heart is all yours. I have signed the deed. I am all in. Paul says it again this way in Romans chapter 8. He says these words. So then, brothers and sisters, we do not owe anything to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the Spirit of slavery to fall again into fear. Rather, you received the Spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. See, an amazing thing happens when you surrender your life to him, your control to him, you sign the deed to him, then you become led by his spirit. And as his spirit leads you, he will be in control. And he will lead you in the direction he wants you to go. And our simple job is just to shut up and pedal. Final thing that I want you to understand about the, the holy life is that it begins with surrender. It, is, it, it continues through him leading, but then it becomes upon me and you to live a life worthily walked. Do you know that when you come to Christ and he changes your heart and he saves you, that he has an expectation that your life becomes different? that your life becomes wholly dedicated to him, but also it reflects him in how you live out life. Paul talks about this concept multiple times. In Ephesians chapter four, Paul says this, therefore, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you were called. Let me ask you a reflective question. Are you living a life that is worthy of the calling of God? Just think about it for a moment. If God were to have a conversation with you right now, and he asks you, are you living a life that is worthy? What would you say and how would you answer? Could you say yes My life, I believe I am living a life that God reflects you. I don't feel like I'm doing anything that is wrong in your sight. Or would you think I feel very convicted because my life is anything but worthy of the calling which I have received? You see, when you want to please God, you want your life to be a reflection of who he is. When you are surrendered to God and you are led by God... You don't like being in sin. And when you do sin, and when you do trip, and when you do stumble, you are quick to say, God, I'm sorry, that's not who I want to be. Now, I wish that that meant that I never said anything wrong to my wife ever again. But it hasn't meant that. I have said wrong things, but you know what happens that is very different now versus what it used to be years ago? is that now when I have said something wrong, I instantly recognize it because I feel the conviction of God immediately, and I am very quick to apologize and wanna make it right. Before, I was stubborn, and I would dig my heels in, and I would constantly remind myself of how she was wrong, and I was right, and I am the superior one here. But now there's a humility that says, God, I am sorry, I should not have said that, and I will apologize. You, you know, the words that I have memorized in my life are these, because they're very, very important. If you're a husband and, you're, in, and you're, mar- you know, you're married and you're a husband, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. Guys, if you don't remember anything else from this message, I want you to remember those three things. It's your mantra. I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. There's a difference when God has control. And the difference is I feel the conviction and I want to make sure that I am right with God. Are you walking in a manner worthy of the Lord? Philippians chapter two, Paul says this. Paul says, only live your lives in a manner that is worthy of the Lord of the good news of the Messiah. Again, are you living your life in a manner that is worthy of God? God loves you. He loves you completely. He loves you for free. But when he comes into your life and saves you for free, no work you can do, God does expect a changed heart and a changed life. Live your life in a manner worthy of him. In Colossians 1, Paul says it this way. For this reason also, ever since we heard about you, we could even say maybe it was hearing about, it could be hearing about our church ever since God would use a person and say, ever since I heard about you, I have not stopped praying for you. We keep asking God that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. How does that happen? It happens through the Holy Spirit's work in my life. How do I know the will of God? How do I know wisdom? How do I have that? It's the Holy Spirit's work in my life. And it doesn't happen until I sign the deed over and say, God, my whole heart and my whole life is yours. I keep asking God that you might be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding in order to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. There it is again. To please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, What is his desire? His desire is that I walk in a manner worthy of God. How can I walk in a manner worthy of God? I have to be led by the Spirit of God. How can I be led by the Spirit of God? My heart has to be surrendered to him. I have to be a living sacrifice laid out on the altar. I have to be somebody who says, God, I want you to dwell in my heart. You take up permanent residence. I will sign the deed of my life over to you. In 1 John, chapter 1, John writes these words. Just listen. John says this. If we say we have fellowship with him and we keep walking in darkness, we are lying and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of his son Yeshua purifies us from all sin. One final thing that I want to mention about this holy life. Paul gives us a great example in 1 Corinthians, and I just want to end with this. And I just want you to understand what he is saying and how our lives are to be different when we are walking in holiness and godliness. Paul says this, He's talking to the church in Corinth, and to the church in Corinth he says these words. He says, For I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. Now what is he talking about? He is going back and talking about what it was when they got set free in the book of Exodus. They were in bondage in slavery to Egypt. He, they got set free. They got set free from the bondage that they were in, and as they were leaving that, the, God led them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And so they were under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. In other words, all of these people got to receive the goodness of God, and God was leading them. And they appeared like they were genuinely following God, and they appeared like they really loved God, but there was a problem. All of these people were immersed into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. That's how they experienced deliverance. All of these people ate the same spiritual food, and they drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Messiah. In other words, they looked the part. They looked like Christians. They went to church. They sang some songs. They listened to a message. But as soon as church was done, it says this. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Why wasn't he pleased? I mean, they were set free, and they followed, and they ate the same food. He wasn't pleased with most of them. For they were struck down in the desert. Why did they get struck down? Now these things happen as examples for us, so that we wouldn't crave evil things just as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. The literal word there is they rose up to party. They went to church. They sang some songs. They put some money in the offering bucket. They listened to the message. They tried to stay awake during the message. They tried. And then they walked away from church on that Sunday, and they just went out back to the partying lifestyle. They sat down to eat the spiritual food, the message, and then they walked away back into the party drunkenness. They walked back into the sexual immorality. They walked back into the same lifestyle that they've always been living. They just took a little bit of a break and came and ate at church. That's what he's saying. The people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. And let's not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day 23,000 fell because of it. And let's not test the Lord as some of them did. And were destroyed by serpents. And let's not grumble or complain as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroying angel. So what, what were they doing? Sexual immorality, putting the Lord to the test, complaining and grumbling. Now these things happened to them as an example. And it was written down as a warning to us on whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let the one who thinks he stands, watch out. That he doesn't fall What's God's expectation Is that when I have surrendered My heart to him My home to him That I don't bring back in the garbage That I've always had there Does that make sense It's like Jesus comes in And he cleans my attic And he cleans my basement And then the next thing he knows I've piled up another hoarding amount of stuff In my house After he just cleaned it I bring back in the drunkenness. I bring back in the sexual immorality. And God is not pleased when that happens. So what does a holy life look like? A holy life is a life that is completely surrendered. God, here I am. I'm on the altar. I'm a living sacrifice for you. I'm all in with you. A holy life looks like a life where I have signed the deed of my heart over to him. Jesus, you're not just welcome in the living room. The whole house is yours. Clean it out. Do whatever you want to do. I will not get in your way. A holy life looks like a life that is spirit-led. I'm not on the front seat. I'm not holding the steering wheel. God, you're in control. You hold the steering wheel. You're in the front seat on the tandem bike. A holy life then looks like a life of walking worthy before God. I'm no longer content at the old life. I want to be different. I want to be changed. I want to be set free. Can a holy life be used to describe you? Have you completely surrendered your heart to him? Have you signed the deed of your heart over to him? Have you placed yourself on that altar? Are you being led by the spirit of God or are you trying to lead the spirit of God? Many of us who are controllers by nature try to lead God rather than let him be the lead. Are you living and walking a life that is worthy of him? Not that God won't save you, not that God can't save you out of a life of sin, but he expects us to be different, to be changed, to be forever his. If you have not made those decisions, I want to encourage you today to make them. God, I surrender all that I am to you. God, I want to be led by your spirit. God, I want to live a life worthy of you. Help me to walk in a manner that you would say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Would you pray with me? Father, as we close out this series, that we talk talking about living a holy and godly life, living a godly life in an ungodly world, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be fully surrendered. And if there are any in this room who have never just said, God, I, I want to put myself on that altar. I want to sign the deed of my heart over to you. I want you to have complete control. I pray right now in this moment, in the quietness of this moment, that you would do that work, that they would do that business with you. Simply saying, God, I'm sorry. I don't want to be in control. I want you to have control. God, I place myself on that altar. And I ask, Lord, that you fix and repair my home, my heart. I am just in my mind, Lord, signing the deed over to you that it's all yours. Pray, Father, that we would be led by the Spirit of God. Some of us have an issue with that because we try to lead. Help us to humbly follow wherever it is that you lead. Help us to humbly follow you as you lead us spiritually, physically, psychologically, financially, emotionally, relationally, Lord we want to follow your lead Lord help us to live lives that are worthy of you and if there's anything right now that we are doing that is unworthy of you anything in our lives right now that is contrary to you convict us of that help us to repent to find the grace and the forgiveness that you so freely offer us and to walk rightly with you going forward from this day on Lord, thank you for the time that we could spend together today. Now bless us as we leave.
0: Thanks for listening to that message. We hope that it inspired you to trust the Lord, to treasure people, and to transform our world with the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ. If God is leading you to give to Journey, head to our website, journeychurchgillette.com and hit the give icon in the bottom right hand corner. Your gift helps us to continue providing resources like this every single week. Also, be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website for updates and additional information. Hey, God bless you guys and have a great day.